Hey folks, this is Riley with the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am just inserting a, a little message here at the start of the episode to let you know my apologies in advance. I had some technical difficulties throughout the recording of this episode, so the audio quality may not be quite what we typically like to see or hear on the show, but we plugged through it as best we could anyway. Just wanted to give you the heads up. Thanks for bearing with us. And now let's kick off the show. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 351. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am joined today by a special guest. I'm going to bring him on, let him do a proper introduction here momentarily, but I have Brian Eastridge from, well, he's really from several different things that I'll let him get into, but we'll stick with, he's from the EDC Belt Company because I think it's a pretty cool belt company. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll turn things over here to Brian in just a moment. Uh, thrilled to have him on the show today. Today's show, we have an honorary sponsor, whether he knew it or not. EDC Belt Company because, well, that's the privilege of being a guest on the show. But also today's episode made possible by our membership, Guardian Nation. We've got many, we got about a thousand of you guys out there that are Guardian Nation members and would love to see that get up to 2,000 or more. So tell you what, we'll make this really easy. If you want to check in to all of the additional free content once you're a member, the members only content uh, that we have behind the the, the paywall, Uh, if you want to take advantage of special discounts on ammunition and other great gear, if you want to get the quarterly boxes that we send out, if you want to get all kinds of, you know, cool things. In fact, speaking of which, we'll probably talk about this too, Brian, but we even have a discount with CCW Safe for our Guardian Nation members. So, and to my knowledge, it's like about the only place you can find a discount for CCW safe. So that's pretty dang cool. Excellent. Make it really easy on you all. If you want to take advantage of a free 14 day trial, just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day, one four D-A-Y. So again, I have with me Brian Eastridge from the EDC Belt Company and all kinds of things. A man wears many hats. <laughs> Brian, uh, thanks for you know doing the show with me. You had me on your podcast yesterday, so yeah. that's that's the second hat. Is you you are the, a, a co-host of the Law Dog Shooting Sports Show, and you're so kind to have me on yesterday. So that was awesome. Thank you very very much for that. Yeah, we appreciate your time being on there. That uh, I think we've been rolling out for about a month and a half on that, and uh, it's growing daily. Thankfully, so. Uh, and it's it's not only a podcast; it goes out on syndicated radio in uh, several markets in Texas. So, it's never thought I'd be talking on the radio. I'll just put it that way. But I do have a radio face, I believe. So, <laughs> you you know what? You sound great on the radio. By the way, uh, hey, thanks. I would not describe myself as having a radio voice, but <laughs> you 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 sound really awesome actually on the radio. So, a little little compliment for me there, Brian. Uh, you again, you wear a lot of different hats and you got a lot of stuff going on. Tell us who is Brian Eastridge and why you're even here today. Like there's gotta be something there, right? Well, it's, uh, the last 17 years I've been a full-time police officer. Uh, been a firearms instructor for about 14, 14 of that. So 
prior to that, I was in the army. I spent like four years in the 82nd airborne division, jumping out of planes and going to schools. And I got out right before the other team showed up. So, uh, you know, right before Afghanistan, all that kicked off. So I never combat deployed anywhere, uh, but had a great time. And that was really when I got into concealed carry and a lot of like pistol pistol craft stuff because at the time the military really didn't put any emphasis on pistol craft. Um, so be it that I was at Fort Bragg, which is like a hotbed of great pistol shooters for those of you that know obvious reasons. Um, I got involved in like the local competition circuits out there and got to shoot with like Ernest Langdon and Todd green and Dave Harrington and Larry Vickers and Kyle lamb and just, a bunch of these dudes that would just show up to a local match. And, uh, so that kind of kicked off my, uh, journey and the whole concealed carry thing. And at, at the time, North Carolina was an open carry state. So as long as I had my cool guy, 1911 laying on the seat or on my hip and not covered, I didn't have to go pay a $200 permit, which was kind of a nice perk, you know, but, uh, Yep. But I got out of the army in 2002, moved back here and got on with the police department. I've been doing that full time for 17 years in a few days. Uh, and then I guess it was shot show 2018. Uh, I was walking around out there and I ran into a whole bunch of people that were working in the firearms industry that I had known through years of either being in a law enforcement officer or, being involved with products or marketing companies that would try to, you know, sell products to police officers. And they were all like, dude, you know, more than most of us, why are you not working in the gun industry? And I'm like, man, I never really thought about it. So, um, I guess it was mid, mid 2018. I filed an LLC because, firearms trainers association started offering really accessible, uh, memberships with certificates of insurance, which was one of my big hangups for training civilian, uh, civilians and anybody outside of law enforcement and went to a whole bunch of civilian training that like 2017, 2018 and kind of developed a real, uh, I guess you could say a real streamlined curriculum for how to how to bridge the learning curve that I went through from like 2001 till about 2012, 2013 with how to run a gun accurately at speed. Um, and then from that, uh, I started looking at different products and I was always on search of a, the, like what belt, what belt should I wear? Cause I know what to wear at work and I don't need a ratchet strap around my waist when I'm carrying like a gun and a spare mag. Right. I don't need to tow my truck out of the ditch with it. So I, I sat down and uh, me and a, my business partner in the belt company, we sat down with every concealed carry belt we had and just went through a list. Hey, we like this. We don't like this. We like this. We like, we don't like this and laid out a design. And I, I contacted some people in the industry and basically got shown the door. So <laughs> three days later, commercial sewing machine and webbing cutters and all this material shows up and I'm like, what am I going to do now? So we, uh, we just kind of crafted our own best of everything belt. And then I just started sending samples out to people and 
Ernest Langdon was the first one that called <laughs> and said, we want to be your exclusive online dealer. So that's how that came about. And they're still our exclusive online dealer for that, uh, that, per, that belt. So, um, and both of us work full-time jobs. So we haven't put up a pay website or any of that. It's just, they keep us as busy as, as, as we want to be with it. And, uh, we've prototyped for some other companies. We ghost build, ghost build guitar industry term there. Uh, for another couple of companies we're building their belts too, um, under their name and their license and all that. So, um, it's been, it's been a wild ride the last year and a half really, to be, to be honest with you, but still do, uh, you know, every 45 to 90 days I, I, I put on a civilian class, uh, mainly locally. I've traveled with it. Some, uh, went to North Carolina this year, got to go back to my old stomping grounds and put on a pistol class for um, for two days and, uh, looking at Texas here in the next few months and some other places. So that that's growing. And, uh, and then one day my old friend Chuck calls me and says, Hey, I've got a sports radio show and we want to do a firearms Friday kind of thing, you know, or whatever. And I guess his viewership or something, it caught some interest. So, uh, we got approached and said, Hey, why don't you guys do a podcast in a radio format? And, We'll syndicate it on the radio in Texas and lo and behold, I'm on the radio in Texas. So <laughs> fortunately for me, because as I've said, I have the radio face, no. <laughs> but that's the, the law dog shooting sports podcast. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes and, uh, yeah. and that's a lot of fun. Cause I get to, uh, you know, tap some of my industry buddies that I, you know, I don't get to sit down face to face with very often and, and have a good chat with them and, keep it pretty, uh, pretty open and free flowing. So, yeah. And, and, and you were on it, uh, your episode rolls out Friday, I believe. So, uh, and it'll upload to iTunes on Saturday because we, we have, uh, programming in like four or five markets in Texas and they, you know, they don't want you to put it on the a la carte download until they've played it to their radio market. So absolutely. So, so that's me in a nutshell. You know, and that's quite the nutshell, man. I, I was wondering how you would explain all of that and, and do so without taking up the whole episode. You did, you did really well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, Brian, tell us, where can we find your, your podcast or your radio show? <laughs> well, the, the, the radio show slash podcast, uh, it, it rolls on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. And we have a Facebook page for it that you can get a hold of us there if you got, you know, maybe suggestions for guests. We typically, we pre-record two episodes and they roll out the following two weeks, but it's Law Dog Shooting Sports uh, Podcast on Facebook. Uh, we've got a web domain. We don't, um, our, our head web designer is uh, still as yet a name. So <laughs> we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, at some point we'll launch, launch a website. And then my training company is Eastridge Training and Consulting. And I, I honestly don't do a whole lot of web upload stuff with it. Um, and, and it's a Facebook page, um, mainly because I don't have time between the other three hats that I wear, but, and then EDC belt company, uh, it, it's on Facebook as well as the EDC belt company. And, um, again, our head web designer is as yet a name. So, you know, that's kind of where you can find us. And we're, we're really good about responding to messages really quick e through any of those three outlets. They come, they pipe right to, uh, my phone or my, 
either of my partner's phones there. And then somebody wanted to get a hold of me for training. The, the best way they do that is just hit me up through the Eastridge Training and Consulting website or uh, Facebook page and uh, we'll go from there. But honestly, I just, I don't have the time to really do a whole lot of like travel training. Um, with my schedule, I work every other weekend. So um, right. I do like to have a weekend off once in a while, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that's kind of how I go about it. And luckily I haven't, you know, I haven't had to put up a whole lot of, uh, web infrastructure and I've stayed as busy as I care to be, but three more years and I can maybe re- consider retiring from the police department and I'll put a little more effort into it. I think <laughs> that's awesome, man. Uh, no, yeah. I've, I've been a fan of your law dog shooting sports, uh, podcast. Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I remember when you launched it, I remember seeing you promote it. Uh, but it took me a few weeks till I started listening to the first episodes and I was like blown away, man. It's a really, oh, wow. thanks. You know, I really appreciate how you guys are, are trying to bring good, you know, concealed carry and self-defense information to the masses and by masses to your everyday, you know, Joe's and Mary's, you know, just normal people. And you and your your co-host Chuck are obviously law enforcement officers, but the unique perspective that law enforcement officers have is yes, you guys do work as law enforcement, but you also are civilians too. I mean, right? We often talk about military, we talk about LE, we talk about civilians, but you guys honestly, you actually wear both hats, uh, and and so you you get that uh, those both sides. Um. So anyway, I'm just really impressed with your show, man. It's a great Thanks. show, and I wish you, you know, a lot of success with that. And, and again, it's my ple- pleasure and privilege to be on with you. Um, so let's go back to something I know that you mentioned on the show on your show is that when you were younger, together with your dad, you got quite a bit of exposure to guns and shooting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. What's your first memory with a gun in your hand? <laughs> Well, it's funny because I still bear the scar to this day. Um, when I was about three years old, uh, my dad had, I think it was a Ruger Mark, Mark two or Mark three. One of the, you know, it was like a four inch bull barrel, four inch bull barrel, stainless Ruger Mark, whichever I can't remember. And, uh, you know, he lived in a rural area and like, I got to shoot it. Well, he also had an eight and three eighths inch model 29, 44 Magnum. And as a kid, I had no real, um, no real perception of what recoil was. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of a, a, a blessing and a curse in, in a number of ways. But at three, I begged him and he finally, you know, broke out like a couple of 240 grain jacketed hollow points. And, uh, and I managed to crank one off before he could really clamp down on the gun and the hammer spur smacked me smooth in the nose I still have a scar there to this day, um, much to the chagrin of my mother. But uh, but either way, that was really my first memory. Uh, I did hit the can we were shooting at, although at the cost of maybe a little cosmetic error. Um, but from that time on, I had a real like difficult struggle with like recoil. I mean, whether it be a hunting rifle. Uh, a pistol, I, I mean, anything. So it was a many year journey to kind of unwind that. And, uh, you know, nothing against my dad. He was, he was trying to be the cool dad, but Hey, um, 
but it also gave me now later in life as an instructor, that gave me a lot of experience with dealing with people that have to overcome that. Oh my God, there's an explosion. It's going to be loud. The gun's going to recoil and all this. Um, it gave me a lot of really good ways to unwind that for people. So, so yeah, it was a blessing, I guess, but, but that's my earliest memory. So that's awesome. <laughs> You've had guns in your hands ever since. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so let's talk real quick. Let's go back to your EDC belt company and the mm-hmm. foundation belt, uh, yeah. which is your, your flagship product. You were kind enough to send me one to uh, take a look at and, and try out. And I got to say, man, I'm really impressed. Uh, the stitching Thanks. is on point. I mean, it's, it's well made. It's not coming apart at all, ever. You know, if it, if it, if it, if ever it'll be, you know, no time soon for sure. Right. Um, the Velcro is, I could tell it is really, really high quality Velcro. Cause that's one of my concerns. You know, when you got that, that loose end that you want to tack down, mm-hmm. you're doing that every day and sometimes multiple times a day. Cause you know, you're doing your business or whatever. And, and so Velcro can wear out pretty quickly, but I get the sense this is going to last me a while. So that's, that's really great. But, that's the stuff that people will see on the outside on the surface, Mm -hmm. but kind of hidden behind closed doors, so to speak. If you, if you play around the belt and flex it a little bit, you'll notice that the front is thicker and stiffer and the back is then a little bit thinner and not quite so stiff. Tell us about, uh, you know, how you designed that and and why you, you went with that kind of design. Well, this is a really good example right here. I know if, you know, for the live people watching, um, scuba webbing, the stuff they make scuba belts out of, I'm going to blow the doors off of every belt company in the industry here real quick. Right. All the belt liners are scuba webbing, uh, uh the bulk of them. Uh, and that's that ultra rigid material that everybody likes to, uh, mount holsters on because it doesn't move. It doesn't, it doesn't flex and articulate in this fashion. So right, when yep, you go to get that draw, it doesn't bow and, and your holster doesn't go with it. Um, and then where it goes across your sciatic plane, I'm sure you you can see that for the live audience. We have a little lighter material in there and that process, um, it's actually kind of difficult to do, uh, to keep everything aligned in there, but we stitch in a lighter form of webbing to allow that thing to articulate across your, your, uh, your iliac crest of your hips, kind of like a leather belt. If you ever taken your favorite leather gun belt off and you noticed it's got a little dip in the back where it goes across your hips, that's because human beings are not perfectly round. You have, you know, all types of, uh, bone structure and articulation around the hips, um, that make that belt want to flex inward towards the top and outwards towards the bottom. And one of the problems you get when you run solid scuba webbing is you don't get any of that articulation around the hips. You're putting a solid loop around your waist. And that was one of the problems I had is I've I've had chronic lower back issues, you know, from uh, jumps out of airplanes and fights with bad guys and all that. So wearing a belt that mimicked my duty belt when I'm mounting about a third of the amount of weight on it was kind of pointless. And, uh, and I've tried every major, major belt, um, and from every, just about every belt company out there. And 
I just took the shortcomings I felt like that were in every single one of them and said, okay, we're going to engineer that out. We're going to engineer this out. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to do a, a, a 60 degree double taper. So it doesn't matter if you wear your belt one way or the other, you can feed it through your pants. I mean, we're not going to stitch in a label because I don't know if you've ever ripped a belt loop off of your favorite pair of jeans, but generally that's that freaking label that's tagged in there. will hang up on it. And when you stitch bonded nylon thread, the thread in your pants is going to give before the one on the belt. So, um, and then hook pile tape, AKA Velcro. Um, we went, uh, we pay exponentially more money on the front end to buy a better quality of it that a lot of your major, um, you know, production line manufacturers, it's not cost effective for them to do that. And that Velcro or, or, or hook pile tape, um, it's, it's supposedly rated for about 5,000 applications and pulls. Um, we've had them out for a year and I've never had one warranty repaired for Velcro. Now I say that and two of them are going to show up on my doorstep, but <laughs> no, but no. Um, and I've actually taken one of the, you know, I'm like an avid cyclist or at times in my life, but I've got bicycle hooks mounted in the studs in my garage and I made a single layer piece of scuba webbing and tacked the Velcro on it and sat there and did like 10 chin-ups with it. And I'm, you know, 210 pounds and that Velcro wouldn't go. So I went, this is probably acceptable to use on a gun belt um, or a concealed carry belt. Um, and everybody that's tried them uh, has kind of had the same result, barring a few um the, the belt's not for everybody. I mean, if it was, there would be one belt made, right? So, uh, but a lot of the guys I'm finding that wear appendix and strong side and don't carry like the Batman utility belt under their clothing, that it it works really well. And uh, where it really pays dividends is if you're in and out of a car all day. So I was forever adjusting my concealed carry belt when I'd sit down in a car because it had no flexibility. Um, so that that's kind of how that was born, and uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride ever since. So, and and we literally we only have one sales outlet that's not retail. If you're in Oklahoma City, our partners at Wilshire Gun Club they they retail stock uh, kind of the more popular sizes, but Langdon Tactical um, is our is our number. They're our only online retailer for that that product, and it's as busy as I want to be at with all the irons I've got in the fire. So we're, there's no immediate plans for expansion on the horizon with where to get them. So what a great yeah, uh, company to partner with too, uh, for your online retailing. Yeah. I've, uh, I've known Ernest a long time. He's great, great guy. And probably, um, of all the instructors I've ever trained with, I got more instructor development out of, out of his, just his three-day class, I was, man, my notebook was full of good information. I, I was really impressed. And, you know, that's coming from I had shot matches with him. I, I tell this quick story, but when I was in North Carolina, we would all travel to this this range up on the border. I think it's called True North now. Back then it was uh, the range at Oxford. And a guy named Frank Glover, big IDPA guy, he ran it and it, every week it was like the who's who of shooting would show up, but it was a local match and like $15 match. And, uh, 
I was kind of working part-time at a gun club called range one, North Carolina, which is now 37 PSR. Um, friend of mine ran that range and we'd always drive up there together. And I was kind of getting to be the, the big fish in the small pond at the local range there. And, uh, he, we traveled up the road to Oxford and when they called out the squatting, I looked at my buddy and I was like, you did this on purpose, didn't you? Cause I got squatted with Harrington and Langdon and Todd green and all these dudes. And I'm like, Oh, you're trying to humble me up. Thanks. I get it. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I just kept coming back for more like, all right, beat me down a little bit. Let's see what I can put in my notebook this week. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Uh, Ernest Langdon, a fantastic instructor, and uh, like I said, it's it's really cool. I think that you're you're partnered up with him for selling the foundation belt. Uh, someone asked here what the cost of the belt is. Well, if you're under a size forty six, the retail is uh, I think it's either forty four or forty five ninety nine, and then if you're over size forty six, it, it's forty nine ninety nine. It's like a three dollar upcharge. Um, because belts get exponentially more expensive as you go, you go up in length. And yep. we're right now, as far as I know, we're the only company that offers them from size 30 to size 50. Um, wow. And they're, yeah. So, and general rule we use is like, if you're carrying inside the waistband, you want to go plus two. Uh, so like I'm a 36 waist. So if I'm carrying my, uh, you know, my keepers, keepers holster or jm or whatever is I, I run a 38 belt and then uh if i'm carrying on the hip i can run a 36 or a 38 so yeah i uh I, i'm also 36 waist i think i had you send me a 40 based on experience i've had with some other similar belts it, which is working out great because i like having a, a little bit more on that bitter end uh, mm -hmm. to uh, tuck away i've had some that Especially if I go with like an inside waistband mag pouch or something, that's something. Really yeah. And, so. and a lot of people don't take into account, and this is just my, my two cents on belts. A lot of people don't take into account that just because those loops don't look very big, when you put that, when you mount something to a belt and it takes a half inch of space, it's taken a half inch off the entire circumference of that belt that, that offset amount. So, you know, you look at a holster that's pretty low profile and you thread your belt through it and all of a sudden your belt doesn't fit. Well, yeah. that's taken a lot more out of the, uh, out of the length of the belt than people account for because it's on, a, it's on an oval or a circle. So yep. I was reading now, one Fon of the comments here. <laughs> Alfonso asked about what site and that's Langdon tactical.com, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Langdon tactical. Yeah, so how do we spell that? L-A-N-G-D-O-N. That's Tactical.com. And you'll, mm -hmm. it, his site's a pretty good site. It's not too hard to find. If you just poke around there on the menu, you'll you'll find where he's got the belts. His his drop-down menu, it's under belts and holsters, so you can find you know some JM gear and some Keeper's Concealment gear, and then our belt's the only belt on his website. Yep, yep. Um, Diane asked, what about smaller-sized belts for women? Well, it's funny you should ask that. They just started stocking size 30. And I'll be, to be really like honest with you, most men fall in the 34 to, to 40 range. Um, unless, I mean, I haven't met too many dudes that weren't, 
you know, struggling with weight or whatever that were over about a 42, 44. Um, and then most women, the bulk of the women we've built belts for, even in prototyping and sampling, there's some conversion charts on the internet for like women's size two, four, six, eight, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the bulk of them wear a 30 belt. Um, you know, some of your more athletic type, uh, may, may wear a 32, but the largest, some of the largest women's belts I've sold were like 34, 36. It, and a lot of that doesn't necessarily have to do with weight. It has to do with, and I've had to learn like so much about anatomy. I wish I would have uh, like studied in high school, but when you talk about the, a woman's hip structure, um, and you can also go up two to four sizes on a belt based on where your pants are wearing with a woman versus with a dude right. kind of always wear your, unless you're wearing some like hipster hip huggers, man, <laughs> uh, which for some reason doesn't seem to be a popular look with the gun carrying community, but, um, but you're not going to get a big fluctuation where if a woman wears pants or pants and belt low on the hips, you know, it, it might be four sizes or two sizes smaller or four inches smaller than on like a high riding hip kind of belt. So, um, yeah, it's so size thirties is kind of where that's at. If you need something a little different, um, send me a message through Facebook and we'll get with Langdon tactical and figure that out. So, Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing about, uh, companies and how they get started and, you know, success stories and, also appreciate when companies are, are willing to work with folks too. So, uh, which of course is, I think a little bit easier to do when, when you're a small company. Uh, but, uh, hopefully this is something that, uh, turns into your retirement. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's kind of an odd juggling act cause I'm way better on the radio than I am at a sewing machine. I'll be really honest. <laughs> my, my partner in this, Eric, he does, he does the bulk of the heavy lifting with the sewing and I do most of the material cut down and assembly. And, uh, there are, I I think a lot of people see like companies, especially small companies. And they think, man, that looks like something I'd like to do. And I go, well, come over at three in the morning when I've got an order pending the next day and see how much you really want to invest yourself in, in running a small business. And it's, Man, and and what you find in the firearms industry is outside of the, I would say the bulk outside of the larger uh, manufacturers, and I'm talking like Sig, Colt, Browning, all these larger gun companies. The bulk of your accessory industry are small businesses, and uh, you know home shops that are cram- that are working just outlandish hours, and and. Yeah. Um, you know, Spencer Keepers, a very dear friend of mine. We've, we've been friends for 30 years. I met him when I was like eight years old, seven years old, something like that. Oh man, 32 years, maybe, uh, he lives about three miles from me. And there are, there've been times I I'll drive by his house to, you know, grab a, grab a beverage or something. And there are dudes working in his shop till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And i yeah, I don't think a lot of the concealed carry populace or or the gun toting populace out there sees that side of, behind that side of the veil, you know. But yeah, but a lot of great products come out that way. So yeah, it's so true. I, I might know a thing or two about that myself. I would uh, say, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
here'd be a question because you know a lot of times some of us take this this sort of stuff for granted but mm-hmm. you know i think i suspect that we have some that are viewing or listening today that might not be familiar with this style of belt basically you've got your buckle which is a very simple buckle and you know it's basically two d rings mm-hmm. sort of shape and you're going to fish it in through the inside ring and then you're going to pass it back through the outside ring and, and how do you recommend that somebody actually wear that and set it up so when you f- first get the belt when you feel it on the what do we call the buckle side that's the side the buckles mounted to right it's the easiest way to remember that that is where the bulk of your scuba webbing is now one of the reasons we went with that low profile double d ring it's actually called a triglide um one one of the reasons we went with that is depending some guys like to wear a really slick belt in the front so you can offset that buckle and it's not digging into your hip or you know uh but that that swath of scuba webbing in the front uh on the buckle side is where you want to mount the bulk of your accessories now if you're an appendix carrier and you carry a solid loop like um some of the JMs that have the split loop and uh, like keepers concealment has the one solid loop. Some guys like to be able to get that holster on and off quick. So they'll thread the tail of the belt through it and offset the buckle. And what we do for that. And I know like some of your people can't see it, but uh, we actually put a swath of scuba, a six inch layer of scuba webbing under the hook pile tape. So you can mount your holster there and then run the tail over and and a lot of your companies like jm and keepers uh will include some velcro on the the mounts of their holsters or actually on the actual loops that's what's that that's for so you can secure that tail of the belt to it yeah. um yeah and we don't uh we don't run a reinforced tag i mean in the tag end being the, the end opposite of the buckle end right we leave that really nice and flexible and the reason we're able to get away with that with and have like a pretty minimal belt tension at the buckle is because we use such a high grade of, of hook pile tape. Um, so a lot of guys that have in the past had to run a ton of belt tension, we're able to offset that by having that belt be able to mold to your body and having Velcro that will actually stick. So... So that's how I kind of recommend it. Like I usually, I thread my holster onto the belt, put my holster in and then put the thread, the belt through my pants. And then if I'm wearing, like I've got right here, a keeper's errand holster, um, with a, uh, inch seven, five clip on it. Um, I'll just run that, that, but I'll run that tail of the belt through one side of the loop. Cause you don't need that much belt tension to keep that that gun secure or that holster secure, especially on a lightweight like that 365. So I won't even double, double, uh, half hitch that belt loop. So, mm. and, and I see people on the internet that it really doesn't matter how you wear them as long as it's secure. But the way we recommend you wear them is mount everything on that scuba webbing. And then your magazine pouch, if it's mounted on the softer webbing, it really doesn't. I mean, I carry an 18 or a 20 round uh, Beretta mag and it still, it still has enough tension to control it and not let it print. 
And then with that low profile buckle, man, you can reach down and like shift that belt around to whatever position you want the buckle in to maximize the real estate where you're carrying the gun. So that makes sense. Awesome. No, that's great. No, we're, we're talking here, obviously, with, with the belt guy. How, how do you like that? You want to be known as the belt guy? <laughs> I've, I, you know, I, I really don't know, man, because one day I thought there was a time in my life I was like, you know, I just want to be counted in and amongst, you know, the respected instructors in the industry. And then there was a day I was like, man, what if I'm like the next Rush Limbaugh on the radio? No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. But uh, I'm like, I never would have thought I'd be on the radio. And then one day I was like having a conversation with a guy and he says, he goes, man, you know more about belts than anybody I've ever met. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> you know, those startling realizations you have in life that you were like, I really, this wasn't really in the cards when I was a kid that, you know, nobody said, Hey, do you want to grow up and be a guy that knows a lot about belts? It was always, you know, astronaut, doctor, cop, whatever. So <laughs> I don't mind it. It's just, it's like one of the hats I wear. I need to have a hat for each company and just whoever I'm talking to put that hat on, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's great, man. Uh, it, what's clear to me is that there's a lot of thought into how your belt is constructed and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and what that tells me is it's built by somebody that actually carries a gun. Uh, on a regular basis because there's so many products we see in the industry that you know they, they have some flashy marketing materials that go with them some some fancy videos mm-hmm. and you know some fancy you know talk and speak that goes with it but there's there's those products out there that you look at you like that person does either doesn't know how to carry a gun the right way or they don't carry a gun as much as what they'd like you to think they carry <laughs> <laughs> right. I, uh, I designed a belt for another company that, uh, they sent me their idea. Um, and we, we produced them in pretty small numbers, but they had kind of lost their vendor. And uh, when I sent the belt off their feedback, I immediately got was like, Oh, you guys really carry guns. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, every single day as, and, I mean, if I could figure out a way to carry one into the shower other than setting it on the soap dish, I probably would. So, yeah, I mean, unless I'm in a foreign country or I'm in some place that I can't carry armed, which is very small, uh, being under HR 218 with Leos, the Leosa Act, um, I've got a gun on all the time. Yep. Um, you know, so, yeah, that that's that's like the best, I think the best beta test that you can give something is if you do that all the time, you're going to kind of figure out what works for you. So, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Speaking of carrying a gun, what's on your hip? Well, um, right now I I just, cause I'm sitting down here in kind of in chill mode. I had the P365 in a keeper's errand. Um, and that I kind of rotate that around based on, what I would call an informal threat assessment. Um, and I think Spencer's marketing on that with, Hey, if you're just going to run an errand, you know, throw that holster on, that's great. Uh, if, you know, if I'm going to be out in the general populace for a a long period of time, uh, inevitably I've got a Beretta 92 on. And one of the things that I think is a big sales point with our belt is like, when I go to teach a class, I show up in my favorite, like, 
you know, sporty cargo shorts and a, an FTA or a CCW safe t-shirt. And I'm carrying a Beretta 92 in an appendix rig with a spare mag mounted on the belt. And people are like, Oh my gosh, you're carrying that. And I'm like, yeah. And comfortably might I add. Um, and, and I've, I've never been involved in, in, in a gunfight with anybody. Um, just throw that out there, but I will say, um, nobody of the hundreds and hundreds of people that I've been involved in their training or been present when they've had a shooting incident or talk to them afterwards. Um, not one of them has said, man, if I had only had a smaller gun, this would have worked out so much better. Um, and I really changed the way that I approached carrying a gun to, I want to carry the biggest thing that I can hide. Um, and be reasonably comfortable with, um, you know, especially, you know, in the wake of today's, you know, active killers and all this stuff with, you know, do I used to be the typical cop, throw a five shot J frame in my pocket. And there are situations that that is plenty. Uh, but if I'm walking around the mall with my girlfriend on my arm, I want to have something that I'm not willing to go out and finish a fight with, but that if a fight came, I would be more than willing to jump into it with, that's kind of my mindset on that is I don't want something that I could just get by with. I want something that I can thrive and dominate with. So hence yeah. the Beretta 92. Absolutely. Well, and that's a fantastic gun, especially when you've had Ernest Langdon work it over. So tell us a little bit about that. And also, you know, there, there's quite a few of you guys out there that are mm-hmm. carrying these DASA guns, uh, particularly in the, in the appendix position, I think that's in it. Right. I think it makes a lot of sense, but can you explain to us a little bit of your logic and reasoning there and, and also why you like that platform? Well, I'll start with why I like the platform. And that starts with uh, Ernest Langdon took me to school in 2001, shooting a tricked out 1911. I was, and he was shooting a Beretta 92. And I was like, how does that guy get back on target that fast? Um, <laughs> And with the locking system and the way that barrel operates and that's the lower slide mass, I mean, I've taken tons of high-speed footage of people that have never shot a Beretta before that are, are running them like a house of fire because just simply because of the way the gun operates. Um, and I, I don't know what Mr. Beretta did when he designed the grip of that gun. I don't know where that came from, but I'm pretty sure, like, I, if I traveled back through time, he drew a tracing of my hand and said, let's make a gun to fit that guy. So, uh, but as far as why I carry that, um, there, there's, there's a, there's a myriad of reasons. Number one, I've been in very high stress adrenaline dump situations, taking felons into custody at at the end of a gun. And I can tell you that a three and a half pound trigger has no business being there because as much as we all say, Oh, I'm the most safe dude. I'm this, that, and the other, um, startle responses will get the better of you. And I've seen it happen firsthand. Uh, I've seen sympathetic fire happen with trained people. Um, and it's, it's not a knock against them or, or their gun or their, or anything like that. It's just things happen. You know, you can go with the old adage, well, I never crashed my car. I never stubbed my toe. I've never, the bottom line is even trained people will get their finger on the trigger before they should. Um, and that double action and, you know, some of this have borrowed from Ernest Langdon, but it makes, there's only so many ways to see it, say it, that double action gives you 
like an inch to an inch and a half of forgiveness there. If you start to get a little crazy on the trigger. Um, the other thing is being able to control the firing mechanism of the pistol when you go to reholster. And I, you probably saw my rant online and apparently it struck a chord because some of our favorite Instagram celebrities have stopped showing themselves reholster. But I see these dudes show whack, throw their gun into the holster. And I'm like, bro, um, I've been in a lot of intense situations. The fast, like speed reholstering has never saved my life. Not yep. one time has it like, man, if I could have got my whole, my gun in the holster faster and pushed it in there harder, would that have made the outcome of a conflict any different? So that's, that's the two reasons for me. And the third reason is I shoot that gun like a freaking rifle. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and I'm not like, not going to break my arm, patting myself on the back here, but there is, I know the capabilities of that platform so well that I can tell in five rounds if I need to clean the gun. I mean, I can, because of the accuracy of those guns is just phenomenal out of the box. And, uh, so that, that's kind of my, my, uh, my two cents on why I carry that gun. And, uh, I really think Ernest has brought to market the absolute best iteration of that pistol to date. So, and yeah, as, you, well, go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, he takes the, the trigger, the double action on those things and really makes it, I mean, you still have that long travel, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's manageable. Oh, it's yeah. Anybody can work with one of those guns. I mean, well, right. a few, a few with smaller hands might struggle a little bit reaching the trigger, but, but if you can get your finger on that trigger, you can pull it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend's five foot nine and like maybe a hundred pounds. I don't know. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty small stature. And her favorite gun of all my pistols to shoot is the, the Beretta 92. And she had never shot a double action first shot gun. And in like five minutes, she's like, Oh, I really like this. Oh, this is, this is something. And I've got like high speed video of her shooting it. And just, just the, the simple fact of the dynamics of recoil of that gun makes it a lot more friendly to shoot. Um, and the same can be said with the PX four with the rotating barrel. I haven't dove off into the PX four rabbit hole because, um, I like cool watches too. And my budget only allows for one or the other. So yeah, (laughs) but, uh, I'm afraid if I got into that gun, I would totally get hooked on it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Ernest does a really good job on those PX fours as well. Doing doing a lot of the same, you know, sort of thing, making a a nice manageable double action trigger, cleaning up that single action stage as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I guess it's about time I get Ernest Langdon on the podcast. Uh, I've talked to him about doing it. We just never locked down a a day and time to do it. He's, Uh, he's a busy guy right now, man. Their company is like growing exponentially daily and that great, like, happy to hear it for them. They're, they're, yep. they're great people. Um, and earnest man, if you get the opportunity to train with the guy, he is like, like, no, I would say he's, he's, he's tied for number one on my list, but, uh, especially if you're an instructor, um, man, the instructor development portions that he doesn't tell you are instructor development portions are just, it's worth the cost of admission just for that. Yeah. So, T- tell us uh, who are some of the other kind of bigger names that you've trained with through the years. Um, Larry Vickers, uh, I, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time shooting with him, 
and I will say his class flows like water. Um, one, just absolute professional, uh, that that's, um, probably the most, one of the most impressive things I've seen with his class is it just, uh, the train doesn't stop, but it doesn't go so fast that you can't keep up. It's, um, just phenomenal class. I I've trained with Jeff Gonzalez, um, gosh, Spencer keepers. I've, I've been to several of his and, uh, AI a couple of his classes. Um, it, that's kind of, see, man, there's, there's been others. Oh, Wayne Dobbs from, from, uh, hardwired tactical. Wayne is a phenomenal instructor. He's because we're both of that law enforcement background, really, you know, I really connect with what he's saying. Um, and I think, you know, him and Daryl Balky, if you get a chance to train with those guys, man, great stuff. Haney Mahmood, <laughs> one of my favorite dudes in the industry, and he is starting to dip his toe back into, uh, back into civilian training. And Haney is, um, I don't know. It's like, we're kind of a clone of each other in ways, just the way we think and the way we approach fundamental stuff and training stuff. And, and Haney, number one, Haney is an entertaining fellow to watch. Um, and not the least bit contrite. It's, it's just flows out of him. And that's, that's kind of the summation of, of the guys I've, I've trained with. And I'm kind of at this point, I won't say that I don't, like need training or, or want to go. It's just, you know, for me, there's a lot of these trainers, they, they preach the same things. It's just from a different angle. And when you've been in the law enforcement training circles and all that, you kind of start to understand the common themes. And unless you're looking for something specific, um, you know, you kind of got to, I kind of got to tailor my ammo and, and financial budget to who I can go train with there. Are, right now we're in the golden era. There are people, uh, there's tons of good trainers. I was looking at your website the other night and some of the names I was like, yeah, yeah, lots of good, lots of good people there. So I've, I've kind of wound down the amount of training that I go attend. Um, I, I went to TACCON this, this year and that was kind of a nice glossing over of, of like all of them, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So, uh, and who, gosh, who did I, went to several briefings down there and, and took Wayne Dobbs class down there. And I was, I was like, Oh, Hey, cool. I feel like I'm on the right track. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a solo on the boat here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got your, your own, uh, firearms training company, uh, which is, uh, ETC. Yeah. Thanks Facebook for uh, when I typed in Eastridge training and consulting, which is my LLC's title. Now I can't unwind it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I'm et cetera. Yeah, that's great. But, uh, but yeah. And, and, and honestly on that deal, I, I'll host my own stuff. I've got a range that I have access to here locally. That's just gorgeous, man. It's a great private facility. Um, you know, I'll throw up a, Hey, I'm going to do an eight hour, and I call my classes this skill builder courses um, because I'm a big believer in you have to possess a certain level of skill before you can tack on additional levels of, of, of skill. So you have to build those in blocks. And 
that that's just kind of my my theory of training i i i don't like my day one class i've had everybody from like retired sf dudes to people that just went through the concealed carry course and being a performance driven model i can challenge them all on the same material to whatever level they can aspire to and um which is kind of unique coming from a law enforcement background where everything is outcome based driven. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. And I've had really good success with it. My skill builder one course, I, 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 I put it up here in Oklahoma and it like immediately sells out and I don't advertise it. It's just like, Hey guys, you're going to do one here. Boom. And it'll sell out. And I keep them really reasonably priced because one, I don't do it full time. I just, and two, I want to encourage shooters that are intimidated maybe to go to, uh, you know, Ernest Langdon or Larry Vickers or, you know, Gonzalez, any one of these, these bigger named trainers that, that, that are on the road. Uh, I, I kind of developed my format as like, I'm going to get you up to speed as fast as I can on the lingo, how to run the gun, the basic mechanics of how to make, make a bullet go where you want to under some amount of some measure of speed um, so that they're not intimidated to go to one of these, you know, higher learning type classes where there's a lot more, a lot more mechanics, a lot more stuff like that. So. Hmm. Yeah. I love that, man. And I I agree with you on the, on the skills building uh, side of it. I mean, it, it, it's, and especially until we make, those core fundamental essential shooting skills somewhat automatic right uh, i believe they have to do anything else yeah and i really believe that um there's a lot of bunk information on the fundamentals out there and i mean i i'm just i'm probably gonna like whiz on somebody's cowboy boots here but um (laughs) a lot of the marksmanship fundamentals and for instance, my dad had a gun shop in 1987 from 1987 to 89. And I worked to the gun counter when I was very young and I have heard everything about how to make accurate, make shots accurately. And only about 2% of it is truth. I won't say truthful, but is applicable in the realm of fire of shooting a defensive firearm. And, you know, I, I look, I've looked back through marksmanship manuals when I was in the military, I used to collect the field manuals on marksmanship and stuff like that. And for some reason, like post-World War II, it's like we, we all had this brain dump that, okay, you got to stand with your, you know, on one leg with your tongue hanging out and the moon's got to be in a certain phase to shoot <laughs> accurately. And I'm like, dude, at five to seven yards, I need to get the gun in between me and the bad guy and work the trigger without moving the gun that's it. And, uh, you know, we can get more surgical as we get that process, but I feel like those processes need to be performed at the subconscious level. And the reason that I preach that is as human beings, you know, we can only focus on one task. That's why I can't look over there at the iPhone and keep a conversation with you, even though I know there's lots of great comments and questions (laughs) scrolling there. So, Having been in high adrenaline, high stress situations over and over and over and over again, you can get better at managing chaos, 
but you can only focus on one of those problems or tasks. So, which is why police officers work in groups a lot. Funny how that works. Um, so if you're inundated with somebody's approaching me to do me bodily harm with a knife, club, gun, broken bottle, whatever it is, the, the marksmanship fundamentals need to be executed subconsciously and you need to be focused on how am I solving this problem? And yep. the better we shoot, the faster that we can get handgun rounds on a target because we all know handguns really suck for shooting people. Um, but they're the most convenient method and the best outlet that we have to stay armed. The faster we can solve that problem, the less complicated that problem is. And I had this conversation in my last class. I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not holding you to a rigid accuracy standard here. I want you to be able to use this target zone and use the whole thing. If you need to, I shot PPC and bullseye for years. I get it. Uh, but if I'm trying to burn a bad guy down, I want as many rounds in the important areas as I can get five seconds ago, because the first time that person takes a step, now that my problems got more complicated, the first time I take a step away and we get distance and we get moving all of a sudden my skill sets have to be exponentially better than if I could have solved the problem right here. Mm. So, and that's just kind of my, my theory. And it seems to parlay into what uh, most of the bigger trainers train. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we probably ought to start, you know, kind of wrapping it up here. Cause uh, yeah. we kind of hit an hour mark here and I know you've got a commitment. Um, but I did want to ask you a question that came from Cammy Cause I, I think this is just yeah. interesting to consider, uh, especially from somebody that's outside of the law enforcement community. Cami asks, how does law enforcement training differ from civilian training? So the easiest way to sum that up is as a law enforcement officer, I don't have the option to leave a problem. I have to bring it to a resolution. And the simplest way to, to formulate that is I have to have the ability to bring order to chaos. That's it. That's literally all we do. Somebody is in chaos, whether it be writing a report, driving them to the store, whatever it is, I've got to bring order to their chaos. As a civilian, you are under no obligation to do that. So in the training formats, um, as a law enforcement officer, you know, I have to train them to work around a duty holster. I have to train them to reholster and go hands-on with somebody. For a civilian, hey, bud, if you've got time to tuck tail and run, there is no shame in that uh, because you don't have to solve that problem. Law enforcement officers, you have a duty, an oath, and an obligation to solve that problem. And that's really the fundamental, that's about as simple as I can make, break down the, the, the differences in the two. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and really that comes down to, there are some differences in training, obviously. There's also mm -hmm. some big time differences in, in mindset and how you approach right. problems. Yeah. yeah. Oh, abs absolutely. Um, you know, just tearing it down to the basics. A cop's got to bring order to chaos. A civilian's just got to save their skin or their yeah. family. That's, that's really it. So, yeah. um, and, and the training differences grow out of, of, of each of those, uh, those two separate entities, you know, so. But assuming a gun is necessary to solve the problem, mm -hmm. we, 
we don't shoot guns any differently than one another. No, no. And, so. and I will give, I will throw props to the civilian training industry. Um, you know, for years that the, there's been this back and forth of, you know, civilians take chunks of the, the police, police training models and, and, and such. And that's great because if you read the news, police shoot people with handguns on a pretty regular basis. So it's a really good information source and knowledge base. On the training side of things, the civilian areas have stepped up and explored avenues that, that police departments historically get into the rinse and repeat mindset. Okay, we've always done it this way. It's always worked this way. So we should just do it this way. And on the civilian side, they, you, the trainers that are in that industry, um, it, there's almost a taboo for cops to go train with them. And I tell them, I'm like, hey, uh, they're thinking of stuff that we're not thinking of because we're so regimented into this mindset that this has always worked this way. And now we're starting to see that that kind of paradigm shift towards okay, there's a lot of dudes coming out of the military that have a lot of good experience. There's a lot of civilians that have a lot of good experience. And let's face it, when you're an off-duty cop, you're a civilian with a gun. Yeah, you hold a commission and this, that, and the other, but you're, you know, your orders of loyalty change. So why not go and explore this other avenue? So, Yeah. And I'll just say from my perspective, law enforcement training is a lot slower to evolve civilian oh absolutely right and a lot of that's just because of the way it's done and the way it's managed you know where most states are the deciding authority on curriculum that's taught in their their respective state uh, uh, authorized academies right and so you know I've taught and still do teach some uh, le courses where because it's part of an academy or whatever it's like oh I, I really hate talking about this in this way but that's how the curriculum is and i got to do my job uh as an le trainer but but that yep. that's the advantage of, the, of that civilian training world is that things can evolve and, and uh, get better faster and then hopefully oh absolutely filter into the law enforcement world as well and and you you kind of have to look at it from the perspective of as a law enforcement officer i have to have a measurable standard i absolutely have to have a measurable standard um but that measurable standard is kind of like your driver's test, you know, okay. Hey, we give you the test. You can drive the car. Um, and, and it's a necessity. I mean, we can't have cops out there that can't shoot to a measurable standard. Um, on the civilian side, there's not a measurable standard. The negative in that is, well, you could be terrible and still carry a gun. The positive in that is if you're engaged in performance-based training and performance-based, uh, mindset, there is no cap to how good you can get if that may, or, or how proficient yep. you can become. So. Yep. Absolutely. Good thoughts, Brian. Uh, Thanks. Man. It's been a really good conversation with you, brother. Uh, really excited to see everything you're working on. You got coming, you know, from uh, EDC belt company, from the law dog shooting sports podcast, your own uh, training, Eastridge training and consulting business. Uh, Brian, you will kind of start winding it down here. Any last words, like if you had 30 seconds, just kind of say your, your piece and make sure people have the, the best or the most important information out there, what would you leave people with? The, the hardest thing that I see civilians 
encounter when it comes to training is not necessarily money or time. It's just the show up. Just put your foot through the door, walk in and get engaged. That's it. Um, you know, as, as men were right wired with, with, with an ego that we, you know, we can, we can shoot great. We can drive fast cars and on and on and on. Um, and that, that really puts a block in between you going and seeking out training. Um, uh, cause I'll admit, man, the first day when you're sitting there with all your gear and everybody, Oh, Hey, how are you? Yeah. I can be a little bit nerve wrack of a nerve wracking experience, but I've never been to a course where I thought, man, somebody's going to make fun of me here. Uh, they've all been positive. They've all had good outcomes. So just like when you buy the gym membership, the hardest thing is to walk in the door the first time. So take the leap and go get engaged. That's awesome. Really good advice that I certainly hope everybody will follow. Uh, Brian, where can, again, we've kind of mentioned it here throughout the show, but tell everybody where they can find you, your companies, your products, all that good stuff. Uh, the belts are at langdontactical.com. It's the foundation belt. Uh, the training company is on Facebook. It's Eastridge Training and Consulting. I do have a personal Instagram page where I throw up cool pictures of guns and like what I'm doing and like, like watches because I'm a total watch nerd. Um, and that's Brian with a Y, not I underscore because my name's with a Y, not an I. Um, and then Law Dog Shooting Sports, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud. We have a Facebook page. There's a website that's coming down the pipe at some point. But, uh, and if you're in Texas, Seymour, Texas, Jacksboro, Texas, uh, Mineral Wells, uh, what's that place where the Hotter Than Hell 100 is? Uh, Wichita Falls. That, that region in there, we go out live on the radio on Fridays and Saturdays. And uh, so if you're in that area, listen in. If you're not in that area, call your local AM talk station and say, hey, we want Law Dog Shooting Sports. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, we're every day we're sending out clips to affiliates. Uh, we do run product advertising. We'll record sound bits. And uh, the best way to get a hold of us there is through uh, – Law Dog Shooting Sports on Facebook, and there's an email attached to it. My partner, Chuck, he records product sound bits for people and product placement. So if you need to get a jingle done for your local whatever, holler at us and, uh, you know, maybe you'll hear me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, what a great interview this has been with Brian Eastridge. Uh, thanks again so much, sir. Uh, folks, give him some love. Give him some support. Uh, I've been wearing the foundation belt now for just a few days. Uh, got, got, got it in the mail, I think last Friday and I am absolutely in love. There's, I'm not going back to any other belt for the foreseeable future because it really is well thought out, well designed, super comfortable, works great for the way I like to carry my gun and the way I live my life. So Brian, great work. Keep, keep things going, buddy. Uh, you can catch me on the Law Dog Shooting Sports Show this weekend. Uh, if you're in one of those markets that he mentioned in northern Texas, uh, you can you can hear that, I think, Friday and Saturday. There's different times that the show will air. And uh, also find it on iTunes. And go to Law Dog Shooting Sports Show on iTunes or SoundCloud and make sure you are subscribing because it's seriously a really great show. So far, you guys have had Haney. We talked about Haney Mahmood. Um, you've had, uh, Spencer keepers, you had Dave Spaulding, you've had, gosh, a bunch of really solid dudes in the industry. Yeah. So, and, uh, 
along with that, I, you know, I will be texting you or Facebook messaging you the link to, to the iTunes when your show uploads. So you can, we'll get, get with you on that. So, yep. and, and we will probably tap you in the future because I got to say, Riley, that was a great interview. That was one of like the least, um, I, I didn't have to drag information out of you. I can tell you're, you know, you and I are cut from the same cloth of thinkers and gun guys. So it was a great, <laughs> great time, great show. And it went by way too fast. So it, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Well, folks, again, uh, uh, EDC belt company, law dog shooting sports and Eastridge training consulting, go check them out. And again, guardian nation made this episode possible today. If you want to take advantage of 14 day trial, head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day. All right. Hey, now is the time that we do our weekly podcast giveaway announcement. Super excited here. We're giving away, as usual, great products each week as part of the Concealed Carry podcast. We're able to do this because of your continued support of our show and our sponsors. This week, we're giving away a Crossbreed Super Tuck holster for a 1911. Now, some of you out there may not own a 1911, but if you don't, getting this holster might be a great excuse to go buy another gun. <laughs> now, the way the giveaway works each week, the clock resets from basically Tuesday noon through the following week, Tuesday, uh, the next giveaway is available. If you sign up sometime during that time, between the Tuesday and Tuesday, you'll be signed up for that coming Tuesday's giveaway, which we announce live during the recording of the podcast each week. The winners are picked randomly. We have a whole software system that runs all this. We don't touch any of the entries or, or bug anything. But uh, now is the time I am excited to pick this week's winner. Oh, and I forgot to mention, where do you actually get signed up? You get signed up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Do that each week. You get bonus entries for sharing the giveaway with your friends and family and also sharing the podcast. And also you get bonus entries for subscribing to our YouTube channel if you've not done that already as well. So now to the actual giveaway. Here we go. All right. I have got the software here loaded up and I am picking the winner now. Little drum roll. Eric C. has the email address with the numbers 1628 at yahoo.com. That's not his complete email address, in case you folks here are wondering, for security reasons. But So Eric knows who he is. There you go, Eric. Congratulations. You are the winner of the Crossbreed Super Tuck Inside Waistband Holster. It fits a 1911 pistol, any, any standard 1911. we got one of these sitting here. Crossbreed is a, one of our suppliers of holsters on our website at concealedcarry.com and we appreciate them and their support of everything we do here at concealedcarry.com and the Concealed Carry podcast. So congrats to Eric for win being this week's winner. Again, if you want to get signed up for next week's giveaway, super easy to do. Just head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and this next week's prize is a $50 SSP eyewear gift card. And we've got some of these still sitting around. We've given these away before. It's a nice go-to prize for us on the podcast. $50 of credit at ssbeyewear.com buys you a lot of value in terms of product uh, for, eye, eye, for eyewear protection. 
super good quality stuff. I like it. I mean, these aren't Oakleys, that's for sure. All right, everybody knows that. But they are really solid, well-made eye protection and eyewear. $50 gift card, you can buy a lot of good stuff with that at SSB Eyewear. So this week's prize, again, the SSB Eyewear $50 gift card. You can get signed up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And so with that, we're going to let you go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.